Hey, everyone. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 524 being recorded Wednesday, December 5th, 2018. I'm your host, Jim Tannis. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Sebastian Peake. And I'm Alan Malventano. Well, thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, as you know, we do this every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, not Central, as I always screw up and say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want to join us uh, as we as we record live, you can join us in our IRC chat at pcper.com slash live. And to make sure you never miss a show, uh, join our mailing list. It's our live mailing list at pcper.com slash subscribe, where you can put in your name and email. And it's just a plain text email. We send out uh, about an hour or so before we have live events like this show or like our special events that we occasionally do when we have guests and stuff. Uh, so uh, we don't sell it. We don't use it for marketing. It's just to let you know when we go live. So check that out if you're interested in that. And to support what we uh, we do here, we have our ongoing Patreon uh, campaign at patreon.com slash PC per. I did want to point out to, I forgot to do this last week and then I was gone the week before that, but I wanted to say thank you. One of our viewers, uh, and I only know him by him or her by their YouTube handle and I can't pronounce it. So I apologize. You know who you are, uh, did this graphic for us uh, a few weeks ago after we found out Ryan was leaving us. Uh, so thank you so much for that. Uh, I made a little modification of course, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but really appreciate that. So, so thank you so much uh, for that. That's this is fantastic. Uh, I know everyone has really enjoyed the uh, the uh, Back to the Future like fading away of of our founder and uh, and our inspiration. <laughs> but uh, <sighs> if you join us here, uh, it helps us do what we do. It's a, a monthly fee or a monthly uh, a, a pledge, I guess. Um, and so uh, we appreciate that. And we've brought back the. The tradition where if you are a new member, if you become a new member during the live taping or you increase your pledge, uh, edit your name before you do that, and I'll get an email with that notification, and I will read anything you put in that name field. Ryan had the criteria of anything within reason. I don't have shame, so my my limit is just something that won't get – I won't read anything that will get me arrested for, for saying out loud mm. or streaming to the internet. But beyond that – uh, hit me with your best shot. I think we offered that last week, and nobody took me up on it, at least during the show. So, so I've, I've got the phone here. I should be getting the uh, the notifications. Uh, so if you want to embarrass my embarrass me, uh, I'm I'm all for it. And, come on, we need a bit of help up here. <laughs> yes, can't be uh, the only ones embarrassing him. I mean, I I do a great job myself, but you can really pile on. It's the holidays. Yeah. Uh, so also, speaking of the holidays, we've got our merchandise storage at joshtech.com. That's J-O-S-H-T-E-K-K.com, uh, where you can pick up some merchandise, uh, our, our logo, the Josh Tech, uh, the, uh, the the Josh Walrus logo. And for the mm-hmm. first time, at least I think this is the first time. It is. Mm-hmm. Ken has arranged a very special treat. If you use promo code, what is it? Uh, hold on, hold on. The reason that this is happening was when Josh finally posts his wheel review. Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> we were getting a discount. <laughs> JoshTech.com. That's right. We, as, as you know, we love Josh. We have him here. He, he takes time out of his busy schedule to come and visit us every Wednesday night. But he hasn't written in a while. Mm-hmm. He hasn't had, he's got a couple reviews sitting there, and he finally he, got it done. He's a busy guy. It's so okay. Ken got this done, fulfilled the promise, and it's just in time for the holidays. And it's, what's the code now? Josh Tech 15. Josh Tech 15. Two Ks in Josh Tech. Uh-huh. Use promo code Josh Tech 15. You save 15% at our store uh, so you can save a little money while uh, getting something awesome for you or, or, a, or a loved one. 
I mean, I don't know why you'd buy it for a loved one, but worth a shot, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, buy it for somebody you hate. <laughs> that's true, too. <laughs> you can uh, get a little Festivus or whatever. Uh, yeah. The airing of grievances. Sure. Yes, the airing of grievances. And here's your, your, your Josh Walrus mug. But uh, speaking of Josh, we're continuing uh, to talk about our beloved Josh. We'll jump into the week in review. We've got that aforementioned review that Josh has for, for us. It's the Logitech G29 wheel. Uh, tell us about this, Josh. Okay. Logitech. They've been around for a while, like since 70s or 80s or something like that. They They made mice, and they still make mice. Then they expanded into keyboards. They expanded everything damn well under the sun. Speakers, headphones, you name it. Finally got into, you know, gaming gear. Um, joysticks, whatnot. And I think 2005, they decided to uh, start looking into uh, racing wheels. I mean, uh, racing wheels have been, you know, a decent business for guys like Thrust, Thrustmaster and uh, Fanatec or Fanatic. <clears throat> And uh, they wanted to get out on the action. So they had, I think their first one was like uh, one of the Momo wheels. It was like released in 2005, and then the G25, then the G27. And in 2015, they released the G29 and the G920. They're essentially identical wheels, except one's for the PS4 uh, and PS3, and the other's for the Xbox series. The Xbox had uh, fewer controls, fewer buttons, a little bit more simple. It doesn't have the real rev light. But the uh, G29 has a lot of those extras. And uh, they're about at the same price. And the best thing about both these wheels is they go on the PC. And so I decided to take a look at this and, you know, kind of get in there before the holiday season and talk about it some. Um, originally, it was it was released at three hundred ninety nine dollars, and uh, I think Ryan back in in the day he he did a video review of the G twenty nine or the nine twenty I can't remember which one, and it was you know it was an overall positive experience except the the thing that was just really nagging a lot of users about was that price point. Yep. So you got the wheel, you got the pedals, but unlike the G twenty seven, you didn't get. The uh, the shifter. And so mm. people thought, well, it's a little strange that something is, you know, very nearly the same. And it costs more and it comes with less. And so it kind of got hammered a little bit about, you know, some review people. Do you like that car front end? That's oh, is that nice. what that's supposed to? Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, I think it's kind of modeled off, uh, you know, an Angular Bentley type Mustang GT. Yeah, I was in fact, it Mustang. reminds me most of of a 2012 Mustang. Mm-hmm. I like the, the way it. Uh, That's nice. Yeah, it's it's fairly close. But anyway, uh, yeah, the price was was kind of stinky, and it was a sticking point for a lot of people. And so then, uh, you know, over the past couple of years, that price has slowly gone down. And in fact, in black. Friday, Cyber Monday, it finally saw 199 bucks. Now its average is around 230 to 260. And when we look at it, the value of the product really improves pretty dramatically. Uh, the overall feel, uh, strength, and and kind of uh, you know feedback quality 
is around that of the Thrustmaster T-150 or the TMX. It's going to be a little bit low, uh, lower than than what you would get with like a T-300S or the uh, Thrustmaster TX series, which usually are around 290 to 350 bucks depending on sales. And uh, you know the, the feeling is is not as good in the actual wheel itself. However, it makes up for it in other areas. Uh, it's it, the, the materials are fantastic on this stainless steel shifters. You know, real leather wrap around the uh, around the wheel, which is something you don't get until you know you're looking in the uh, $500 range for a wheel that'll have leather from either Fanatic or uh, Thrustmaster. You know, it's a uh, it's a brushed aluminum uh, uh, spokes in there. Uh, everything else is you know a little plasticky. But uh, it's got an interesting clamping mechanism that uh, can clamp it down pretty good. Not as good as some of the other clamps, but for the amount of force that uh, the two motors exert on that, the clamp is is perfectly fine. Um, another positive is the uh, the pedal system. Uh, most pedal systems in the two hundred to three hundred dollar range, they'll only give you a break and. And an accelerator, and it'll be a narrower uh, pedestal to work on. With with uh, Logitech, you get clutch, brake, and accelerator. There's plenty of metal, as you can see, uh, in the pedals and uh, the swing arms and the springs under there. Uh, the accelerator feels pretty good. The brake actually has a, a nice progressive feel, not as much as some of the higher end Fanatic products. But it is really good considering it's a $230 to $260 product. And again, you get a clutch. And if you want to spend the extra 50 bucks and get the uh, shifter, then you have, you know, kind of a full working set that you can you can race pretty much anything with. Uh, compatibility is very good with the Logitech products. Uh, a lot of the uh, the games designers work very well with Logitech just because they've got you know, not only mice and keyboard, but also game controllers, you know, pads, joysticks, and and, and the wheels. And so there's a very good uh, overall support for this. Um, you know, again, overall feel is, is like that of the lower end Thrustmaster TMX T150s. But again, you've got the better materials. You've got, you know, a pretty good quality. Logitech makes pretty good stuff and you've got other features in there that more than make up for you know the twin design now in the actual workings itself it's got two helical gears coming off of two motors and i would guess it's about three to four newton meters of force um it's not as much as some of the uh thrustmaster products i think the t300 is is six um the fanatic uh csl elite are seven to eight uh, the TSPC is is about eight newton meters of, of force, and so it's not as uh, it doesn't kick you as much. It's not as strong, but it does have a pretty good feel to it. And uh, you know, for two hundred and thirty bucks, if you get it, and if you can find it on sale for one ninety nine, it's a steal because you get a lot of wheel for for that kind of price. And so I've enjoyed my time with it. I think it works well. The uh, drivers are very, very solid. It integrates with the other, uh, what is that called? The G Suite. Yeah, the Logitech Gaming Software. Logitech Gaming Software. 
Uh, so you can control everything from one application that you know is into your. If you've got a Logitech mouse and keyboard, uh, you've got three different tabs that you can go to along with this that you can control all of them. Um, some of the settings are are not as granular as one would hope in the software, but uh, most applications will give you uh, some control over you know force feedback. Um, uh, strength and uh, some other things that uh, you can kind of, excuse me, adjust in games. So it's, you know, it's, it's a good product. And at this price, I gave it the silver award because, you know, again, it, it, it gives you a lot of product for not a whole lot of money at three ninety nine, It was just simply too expensive for what you got. Yeah. At this $230 price, it's a really compelling product and it's may, it has great materials. It's got good feel. Uh, leather wrap steering wheel is fantastic. You can't complain. So, you know, good product, good price. Logitech has, has done well finally getting it down to this price point. And, uh, you know, if you're a, you know, a beginner driver or, you know, an enthusiast on a budget, this is an excellent wheel to get because it offers you a lot of stuff for, for the price. So, Josh Tech 15, get that money out. Not on this product. <laughs> Let's clarify the Josh Tech promo code is only for our Teespring merchandise. Um, Josh, you mentioned the uh, Thrustmaster. You said this compares to. Do you know what price that comes in? Like, how, what's the price comparison between this? The C one fifty and TMX are in between one hundred and fifty and two hundred bucks. It depends on what time of year it is, but that's kind of where they're aimed at. And when you get one of those, the 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 wheels are typically kind of uh, you know rubbery polyurethane feel, mm-hmm. and I mean they 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 do fine, but you know after a couple of hours of actual racing, your your hands feel pretty clammy. Um, it it kind of pills around a little bit, and it's not great. Sure. Um, so the leather is is a huge upgrade with that, but uh, you know it's solid part. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, and so- for some reason, my dogs are barking outside, and my family is refusing to let them in. <laughs> Do they not know how important I am? Have that, they ever? That was, that was a rhetorical question. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, well, Josh deals with that uh, problem. Uh, that's the uh, Logitech G29 racing wheel, uh, something that's been around for a while, but is now at a much more compelling price point. All right. Uh, so if you're going to be playing some, some racing games on your PC, uh, you're going to need a new graphics card. Probably not this one, though. NVIDIA this week uh, kind of had a – what would you call this, Alan? A coordinated teaser? I guess. Uh, a bunch of YouTube influencers. Um, you know, some there was a, at least one guy who's like a data scientist who does some YouTube videos. Yeah. They all simultaneously accidentally sh- exposed the RTX Titan, NVIDIA's latest Titan card based on the RTX Turing architecture. Um just cat nonchalantly had, yeah. had it sitting somewhere. Yeah. There we go. You know. Yeah. Um, oh, it's a $2,500 video card. I it, wonder where that came from. Exactly. Uh, a nice box, though. Nice looking box. Sure. Uh, and sure. the card, from what we can see, the card has uh, the pictures here that NVIDIA has provided now. Uh, it's it's a uh, similar to the uh, Founders Edition, you know, yeah, looks like the same series, core. but gold instead of silver. Yep. So a nice, nice look there, kind of taking that Tesla V. Uh, design that they had, not Tesla V, Titan Titan V from last year. Um, And as Jeremy said, it's $2,500. But 
comparing it at its performance, at least anything but double precision, mm-hmm. or if you need EC, if you don't need ECC memory, you compare that to the Quadro or the Tesla, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of performance at that price, even even if it's insane looking at it from like a gamer's consumer's perspective. Right. Yeah, if you have a need for that specific type of compute, like that looks like the best game in town. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this kind of put, puts the final nail in the coffin. It's, it's been riding this way for a few years that from NVIDIA's perspective, they don't want Titan to be the gamer card anymore. Right. Because, you know, Titan launched and it was it was like the the more money than sense gamers product line. You know, if you're, you're a gamer, you want the ultimate card. It's the Titan. The first few generations were called GTX Titan. Right. Uh, yeah, and, but they came out at a grand, and well, you can't even get a high-end gaming card for that anymore. Well, sure, that's it's right. True. The, the whole market has, has changed since then. True, that's true. But uh, Jim, didn't you have a couple of those cards? I did. I had the. I bought them for my wife's. Uh, she's an architect, and she was building a box for rendering. And at the time, it was the first-gen Pascal Titans, mm-hmm. not yeah. the the ones that we nicknamed Titan XP, not the ones Nvidia officially called Titan XP. Uh, and I picked up two of them, and they were great cards. And then she left that job, like two months later. And well, you got it. to keep the cards. And so now they're in my personal rig. <laughs> so <laughs> yep. that worked out, I guess. But still, stupid expensive for the performance they they offer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing, uh, you know, deep neural computing and AI training and uh, any of the any of the the tensor stuff that that I would need this kind of performance for. Um, like I guess another another factor we should mention too is that this card takes the memory to 24 gigabytes, so it's double. I guess what uh, I think so. Is what, what was Titan V? Yeah, twelve. Yeah, it was twelve. 12. Yeah. yeah, so you get you get the additional memory. It's GDR GDDR6 non ECC, so that's that's the one limitation there. I mean, not that the Titan brands have touted ECC, but if you're comparing this to some of those higher end workstation and compute cards, uh, that's a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a heck of a lot of uh, of performance uh, for those specific workloads. Don't buy this card for gaming. Buy I mean, two of them and use Nvenlink. Nvenlink. Yeah, sure. I mean, you don't have to do what you want, but man, that's crazy. Uh, we thought Nvidia pricing was already high for gaming, but uh, uh, we did not get uh, sampled one, you know, for this teaser. Uh, so we don't we don't have one yet. Uh, well, it's going to be coming out later this month. Uh, we'll hopefully get one as soon as we can to to. Give it a, give it some tests. Um, but uh, uh, there's the, the official details are out at NVIDIA's website, and uh, those who want to spend that much and who have a need for that kind of performance uh, can check it out. Anybody else have any other thoughts on this product? No. You? Okay. Do I have to? Yeah. <laughs> well, now you do. Double the memory. Lots of speed. I mean, it's pricey. Yeah, and it, it will. What, do you, what, what else do you expect Nvidia to do? I mean, they've got they've got a stranglehold on the the high end, yes. so they're going to monetize the living crap out of every decent die that comes off the off the line. Yeah, well, yeah. that that plus they like every GPU related company is facing backlash from investors who didn't understand that mining was not a permanent thing. Yeah, so they're looking wasn't, for. Wasn't the last? Wasn't the Titan V like? 3K? Yes, it was. It was even more expensive than this. Yeah. It's, it's odd that this is hi- higher performance by a decent amount than a Titan V, lower cost. But at the same time, you flip it around and you look at the gamer cards and 
holy crap, they're they're going the opposite. Yeah, they're right converging. Well, for the professional <laughs> yeah. ones, I, they cut like the lower end off significantly, so they're much cheaper than they were. So they've also got to sort of look at that, you know, balancing yeah. the Titan versus yeah. one, one of the RTX Quadros, which are, you know, coming at less than this for the lower tier one. I think it's seventeen, eighteen hundred bucks yeah. for the upper level one. So it's just it's a weird matter place, of, but there you go. Yeah, make sure your workload is gonna uh, is gonna co- or be able to take advantage of, of this. Yeah, don't don't buy it for gaming. Yeah, just you know. what about on 1080p? Especially, especially. Well, <laughs> if you're going to be gaming in 1080p, yeah, you can justify it. But <sighs> all right, let's jump into some news. Uh, Ken is not here because Ken is in Hawaii. That lucky bastard. He's hanging out with Jack Lord. Yeah. Uh, yeah so and the only place in the states with five G. Uh, uh, well, yes, that's technically, apparently. apparently they've they've got it set up for the demos and, and the testing. Um, but yeah, so it's a Snapdragon uh, uh, event down there. Uh, Qualcomm's, uh, I guess, sort of becoming annual excursion to Hawaii because they did this what last two years? Or was it just last year? Mm. This is this is not their first year for sure. They were down there again last year, but uh, yeah, they were at least there last year. But uh, they're out there showing off the Snapdragon 855, and so Ken just got this in. Uh, he wasn't able. To, we were going to try to have him join us, but he had to go to a, a meeting. Um, so he got his article in now, and, and he'll be back to give us more details next week. But uh, we can jump into what he's provided for us based on uh, what they showed him down there. And uh, it looks like it's a pretty compelling upgrade yeah. for for Snapdragon. Um, they're moving away from uh, Big Little, uh, which we knew, uh, and they're, they detailed more this, this new Prime Core uh, setup, which is going to take – it's very similar to Big Little. You've got your big cores, your little cores. Uh, but with Prime Core, you've got a Prime Core. It's pretty good with the names, huh? Pretty, uh, mm-hmm. pretty descriptive naming uh, scheme. And so that Prime Core, and if, you, if you're watching the video version of this, we've got a graphic that they shared, uh, that Qualcomm shared. You've got one core designated as your Prime that can turbo uh, higher, much yeah, higher. Even higher, yeah. Yeah, than, than what uh, the individual cores could do under the old, old uh, architecture or old, old, old setup. And so that the old can, regime, the old regime, and this yes. is just to probably be the best possible at single threaded yep. performance because they have right. to they have to catch up. Apple is by a clear margin leading yep. this this uh, class of products uh, or chips, and so this gives them it continues to give them that power efficiency when they need it. But when the phone or the device needs that power, they have something uh, that can that can boost higher. Um, better graphics, they say up to 20% faster graphics. Um, and one of the areas where they're, they're looking to uh, really stick it to Apple, because they're not going to beat Apple overall, even mm-hmm. with these improvements, but they're going after sustained performance because Apple, even Apple and all SOCs, mobile SOCs, have a problem with sustained performance. You, you hit that processor, you start heating things up, it goes fast for a little while, and then it slows down, yep. which is, you know, that's how processors work and and heat dissipation and, and thermal throttling. Well, uh, they, they're, are, or they're advertising that with the, the, the prime core and with some efficiency changes, they can last uh, longer. Okay, I, was, I shouldn't have. Yeah, so the idea is just do it more efficiently. <laughs> Wait for Josh to say something. <laughs> but, um, I'm, I'm still giggling on the one little, two little, three little Indians thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, so and again, these are these are the marketing charts that Qualcomm provides everyone and at the big event, and we'll have to see how this shapes out. But they're looking at, you know, their their unnamed competitors and sustained gaming performance and the 845 from last year versus the new 855, and it's a big difference. Uh, that they, that's they can sustain a higher workload, so that even though it may be slower out of the gate, when your iPhone or your whatever slows down over time. The A55 is going to be maintaining that that higher baseline, uh, so there's something to look for there. Um, yeah, uh, I think that the CPUs themselves they're 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 custom. Well, mm-hmm. mostly custom. I think that they're still based on the Cortex A76, I believe. But um, um, they've they've done more things with kind of the front end to you know make them a little bit more efficient and um, you know better overall throughput. Because if you like compare this with the the Samsung Exynos products, which are extremely bursty, I mean they're really super wide um, execution in in Samsung. But once you actually start hammering on them consistently, so many of those transistors are are kind of firing off at once that DTP envelope, you know gets to the point where they start throttling down significantly. And so even though they say, hey, we can burst up to 2.7 gigahertz, next thing you know, you're running 1.9, 1.8 gigahertz, and and something like the 855 is going to continue to do, you know, 2.8 with one core, I think about 2.4 with the rest. And so you're going to see some evening out there that in actual overall throughput as we you know expand with games uh that's that's kind of the one of the bigger ones that that these cpus are doing that they experience this kind of consistent long-term performance that needs to happen uh you're you're going to get better overall performance with with an 855 and again it's it's going to be a seven nanometer part it's one of the first that will be out there i'm i'm expecting this probably in what mid 2019 um, but anyway, that's my little bit. Uh, go ahead and keep uh, keep running, Jim. Well, thank you. Appreci- always appreciate your bits. Um, the uh, the other thing that's exciting uh, that uh, at least appears appears exciting based on the marketing materials is that they've really paid a lot of attention to uh, their imaging processor and uh, using depth sensing uh, AIs and all that. They're able to take the 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 fake. Uh, what do you call it? The uh, portrait effect that Apple popularized, and then a lot of other phone makers have also has, have also implemented, and they're able to apply it to video, and not just video, but up to 4K HDR 60 frames per second video. Yeah, that's that's incredible if it works. And which, is, which, as far as the <laughs> sensors would have to work, and that would typically mean that it's probably capturing at 120, mm-hmm. right? Because you need a couple of frames, or like a partially exposed frame and then you expose it a little bit more and then recapture the data again. So yeah. you're basically getting two frames for every frame, right? Cause you have to get HDR. So you can't just, the sensors aren't good enough by themselves to just have this amazing dynamic range. You have to double expose usually. Yeah. Um, and as intensive as that sounds with this new ISP, apparently all of that work is being offloaded to the ISP, this new Spectra oh yeah. 380 ISP. Yeah. You can't, you can't CPU handle this. It has to be, you know, Within dedicated hardware that's able to you know handle that fast of a stream doing that. Yeah, this is the the Boku effect, isn't it? Where it'll it'll make the background yeah, artificially. Yeah. It, it it simulates it's artificial uh, though. It's a, not a, yeah. a lower a, a wider aperture 
on a subject, yeah. you know. Right. Now, I mean, they're probably not doing the whole try to pick out the profile of the person. They're probably just doing it more on, well, we can tell that this is partially blurred, so we'll just make it more blurred. Well, I mean, they talk about right. that they're they're looking for real-time object segmentation so that they're trying to at least at least like in yeah. marketing materials, but they're they claim that they're trying to do some some processing it's, there. It's going to have to be really good because like if you just take a portrait well, then even with even with the iPhone, where it's you can tell it kind of like missed something in the hair or mm-hmm. something like that, right? But if you had something that kind of an effect jittering around in video, yeah, it would be so much more apparent. It's, right? Oh yeah, it's definitely it's going to accentuate the issue, like the the, the misses. So yeah, to speak. Well, yeah, the misses would be super obvious in that case. I would not be surprised if this, the video feature was multi-camera dependent. That would yeah. make a lot more sense Could to be, me yeah. to actually have one of the cameras focus on the subject and have the other one provide information for the background blurring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the other thing is is on a physical blur like that, it's not the whole subject; it's a plane. Yeah, and like I've seen these the, the portrait view on these things, and it, you could tell it immediately because the the focus plane is is just kind of it's it's too deep for how much yeah. background blur there is. Yeah. And I think for most people they don't care, but when you see it, you know, knowing what it looks like off a physical camera lens, it kind of looks wrong. Just right off the crank. But I'm probably just being picky about things. I mean, I think when Apple first introduced it, uh what was it the iPhone 6S? It was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you could tell it was clearly like you could. There were impressive shots that you would get occasionally, but you could tell that it was artificial. And then thus far with the 10s series, um, it's pretty good. I mean, I get what you're saying. Like mm-hmm. usually, uh, usually you see like the eyes are sharp, but the front of the nose is a lot of focus yeah. with a real camera. It's too good. Yeah, yep. I mean, you just got to get yourself a giant telephoto lens and stand. Uh, hundred really yards far back. Away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get some Hasselbrads with an F one. Yeah, there you mm-hmm. go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> They're only sixty thousand dollars. That's all. <laughs> um, other uh, tidbits about this new chip. There, uh, there. You now, this is this is an option that the the chip is implementing. So it's going to be up to how the manufacturers implement this into their software. But it's going to support uh, native support for the high efficiency image formats. Uh, so that's you know that's good. Apple's been doing that. If uh, or do any other. Current uh, phones in the market have support for that right now. The- I want to say the high efficiency uh, format for images is an Apple thing right now. Okay. Yeah. Or but people it's- who wanted like JPEG compatibility actually have to go into settings manually and disable it because it's enabled out of the box. Yeah. Well, in, here's a here's a tip for you: if you got an iPhone and you want to shoot an HEIC, uh, but you upload your photos to Dropbox, it will automatically convert it, to JPEG when it uploads. Yeah. So. Handy, but uh, but yeah, I mean this stuff's same, based same for on one, same for OneDrive uh, as well. I think uh, probably yeah, probably yeah. Uh, this, so, so, but this stuff, uh, if you're unfra- uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, is based on HEVC encoding techniques, so you get better compression for video and photos. Um, so that's coming. And again, though, that's going to be up to the manufacturers who implement these chips on how they work that into their software. Um, and then touching on a story that Ken published yesterday, uh, this will be a platform that supports five G natively. Um, the the multiple variants of five G, five G of course is still uh, a this thing in the uh, sense that like they've been saying for six months that it's coming in six months. You know, yeah. I don't think it's going to be the kind of a thing like four G was though. Like in, in other words, I don't think it's just going to be uh, even eventually. I don't think it's going to be this ubiquitous. Everything is five G thing. 
I think it's really just going to be because of the range being so short. I think mm. it's going to just be meant more for high density city type, you know, places where it's more applicable to do that. Like I probably wouldn't expect to see 5G along a highway out in the middle of nowhere, right? You whereas mean you in might, Wyoming, whereas you might like actually ninety nine percent. Yes, yeah. Josh in Wyoming is probably never going to get 5G. Never. <laughs> He'll probably get that before he gets fiber. No, but like <laughs> like 4G has still a decent amount of range to it. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of practical to see that like in, in more rural areas where mm-hmm. they, they can still stick with the same tower locations that were there for 3G and get away with 4G, you know, where your signal strength is high enough, as an example. Right? There's actually but, a picture in that article talking about where things are going to be laid out. Yeah, like, like how they intend to, uh, you I think, know. I think it's the other article, actually. Oh, okay. Which I don't know if you have on the. I was it the second? It, it was up. the second one? You didn't Let's have see. it open? Yep. But, of course, all the, the major ones, AT&T, Sprint, Timo, and Verizon, are planning on rolling it out because think of the data overage charges. Just think how quickly you can crank oh, yeah. over. There yeah, we go. Scroll down that's one it. more. Yeah. There you go. Oh well, that's well, that's uh, yeah, ro- rolling out to that's rolling out. I think we were this this other thing is just you know like you go further out. They're talking about LTE, like yeah. further so out. So it'll from the be city. it'll be a cascading coverage area, right? Where right. you're fastest in the center, and you and still it, have acceptable speeds at, at gigabit LTE. That that still is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and it does kind of make sense that with you know to put 5g in just the the denser area because not just with a shorter range but because it's able to handle way more connections way more simultaneous you know the time slicing is more efficient it's able to do well i think what ken got flown out to some stadium one time where they were testing 5g like sharing the same channels as 4g that all the people because obviously they didn't have a stadium full of phones that were on 5g Mm -hmm. but it was sharing the airspace basically like in australia or england uh, I don't know, but it was like you know they were they were doing speed tests on five G phones and they were getting like you know gigabit speeds in a stadium while a game was going on. Yeah, where you know all those poor apps on four G and whatever like they have signal, but you're not getting anything mm-hmm. <laughs> because you're trying to share it with too many people. S- same kind of thing like at CES. CES is a great example yeah. of you know it's gotten better in prior years. Because they've uh, rolled out like microcells and stuff like that, where you know, but but it's still using 4G technology. It's you'd still hit spots where even though you're looking at the truck that you know is like this big repeater with a huge fat pipe to the internet, uh, you have your phone out, you have max signal, you know you're connected to that truck most likely, and it's just sharing with tens of thousands of people mm-hmm. all running around the convention center, so you just don't get anything right. Um, this that was the, I, I got to go back in time. Uh oh, when I got my Galaxy S three, and it was one of the first you know kind of four G phones. That uh, I remember going to CES and four G was working and it was working great. And all these people with their iPhones that was still limited to three G <laughs> were really <laughs> really angry because nothing worked for them. And I laughed and I laughed and I laughed and. Better than cats. Yep. Well, iPhone users should have been used to it because they started on Edge. True, true. I mean, my God. But well, who was it competing with the Blackberries? Yeah. Who was the? Was it Zuckerberg? Some internet lunatic was going to blanket the world with automated blimps 
Oh, that would just, that's still that would a just thing hover and then be repeaters for various networks. Now it's carbon fiber drones instead, or okay. like, you know, yeah. with wings, not like the kind with four props, but like with you know big very, wings, very span, long wow. solar powered, like flying. You know, still hasn't happened, but you know that's wasn't yeah. there a scene in a movie, with Avengers or Captain America, where they were going to use those to kill us all? Uh, probably. Okay, are you thinking of slaughter bots? Uh, I don't know. The, now the Winter Soldier. Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Had the big hovercraft with all the guns on it and could, you know, target uh, thousands of people at once. Yeah. Yeah, as you do. Yeah. Good image recognition, though. <laughs> well, the other nice thing about this is that, uh, in theory, anyways, because we haven't really seen it in practice, we're going to be dipping down into areas of the spectrum which don't have quite as much traffic and interference as we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Because that's becoming a huge problem for any wireless signal. Is it's just the airwaves are so bloody crowded, it's interfering with itself. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting to the sub six gigahertz part. The what they, they, we sold that off what two three years ago, I think the FCC. So it, it's it's going to be interesting to see if that actually helps as well. So that it's not just signal strength and speed; it's reliability. And as you say, when you're stuck in the middle of a, a big crowd of people, you don't start to see these dropouts and just. I know I'm connected, but uh, is that a modem I hear mining? <laughs> hey, there are times when I would take 28.8 over what I could get, which was nothing. Um, so, yeah, but so as, uh, as we said, 2019 is the claimed rollout for this, both the, the, the chipsets, the handsets, and the networks. But we'll see. I mm-hmm. mean, 4G took a while to get going, you know, so – uh, but, uh, check, uh, check out the article that Ken put up, uh, for all the information. Uh, they also showed up some stuff like they've got this 3d sonic sensor, which allows you to have the in glass fingerprint, uh, reader, which is, they, there are some phones that do it now, uh, but it's all optical, I guess. Mm-hmm. And this is using some sonic method that improves speed and accuracy. Uh, so that would be cool. Cause I really, as an iPhone user, not that Apple would necessarily adopt this technology, but, uh, uh, I don't. I, I still miss Touch ID with Face ID. I'm still on iPhone like, 8. Even here where I want to <laughs> see if anybody has said anything embarrassing for me to say, yeah, which they haven't. Come on. Come on. Much <laughs> disappointed. Um, Listen to him say something. Even for a dollar, man. I'll, I'll say something lud- just crazy. But, uh, Ludicrous. Crazy. But uh, I have to look at it. I have to hold it up to my head and, you know. Get in the way of the show. I can't just like rest my finger on it and, and open it up. So, yep. So, seeing seeing improvement in on display uh, fingerprint sensors is. But can you do it in the Harry Harry voice? I. That's crazy. I could try. Hi. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> well, is, come on. is that Milton Berle? What is happening? Harry Harry. He's uh, channeling the wrong. <laughs> So, uh, as you said, Ken is still there. The summit uh, is still ongoing. There's more announcements, I'm sure, to come, and he'll be back. uh, Well, check PC Per the rest of this week. He'll post what he finds, and then um, he'll be back next week to tell us uh, uh, all the details that we got wrong or missed, I'm sure. Ken just wallowing in 5G right now as we speak. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'll come back with some form of radiation poisoning, I'm sure. That's a good test to see if this stuff is going to give you cancer. Because mm-hmm. he's been, as you said, he's been testing this stuff. Uh, Ryan's been sending him to places to test networking stuff for years, so he's going to have the, the the high dose exposure we need. Here, Ken, sit between these two mm-hmm. experimental routers and do some speed tests. I have a headache. Oh, you're fine. It's fine. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. I, I got the segue here. 
Uh oh. Speaking of cancer. What? Oh. Oh. I'll get it. Never mind. Here, you can do it. Okay. I. I thought it was funny. It's Let's the, go to the next story. It's the next. It's the <laughs> it's next my story. Segue. Uh, so, uh, Jeremy's got a news post for us about uh, some some developments at Intel involving magneto electric spin orbit design or MISO. It sounds MISO like, like vaporware. MISO horny. Oh, yep. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, tell us about this, Jeremy. Oh, it, it hits all of the nice little wonderful buzzwords like quantum and ferromagnetic and uh, multi-ferroic materials. If it's to be believed, and it's not that this technology does not exist, just not in any sort of feasible manner, uh, Intel is suggesting they've been working for the last five years on a replacement for general CMOS-based production of chips, which we've been using for forever, which uses five times less power and, or, or sorry, Five times less voltage and roughly 10 to 30 times less power. It's also going to be about five times more uh, dense when it comes to doing operations, which sounds, oh, and sorry, room temperature quantum materials are involved as well. So literally they hit every single buzzword you could possibly hope for and have produced absolutely nothing. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. It would be wonderful (laughs) if this was true because I mean, hell, this would be wonderful. You know, all of a sudden we're getting a lot more power dense, uh, or sorry, a lot more dense processing power at a tiny percentage of the heat and power being consumed or produced. But I mean, I don't think we're going to see it come out before everyone's moved on from tan nanometer. Yeah, it it just. I think everything is theoretical slash experimental. Yeah. Well, I mean, originally this was done back in two thousand one. Like someone did do it for a thing. A thing, and nothing has been produced since, apart from a whole bunch of uh, PhD papers. The there is a link to the Nature article if you want to delve into it a bit more. Uh, and Nature hasn't completely destroyed their reputation yet; they're working on it. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, it, it's interesting, and I could see in twenty the late twenty twenties, twenty thirties that this might be a thing, but I don't think it's gonna be wide scale for very for quite a long time i you yeah, might I see mean, some you know, memory technology the problem with it's the problem with yeah. materials is that you know a lot of stuff has been done in the past and it takes a while to work out all the kinks and and to really kind of figure out the physics of these materials and and what makes sense in terms of lithography and how you mix those materials i mean we can look at intel and their best intentions at 10 nanometer and how that worked out, Adam. I mean, everything looked good on paper. It should have worked. And it didn't. And like any good scientist, they they learned from that. And I think that we're going to see some you know positive things in the future, but it's not going to be for a little while until they kind of get out their decks in a row. But that is the thing about you know this kind of work is you may not get everything you want in some of these tests, but somebody could very well pick up some of these uh, some of these findings and like say, Hey, you know, I can actually apply some of this here in this kind of circumstance. And, and, uh, you know, next thing you know, we've, we've got another, you know, uh, silicon ion insulator. We got another galenium arsenide. We've got, 
you know, SGE, SGI stock. I can't remember all the stinking acronyms, but it's it's step by step. And the more you learn about these materials and how they work in certain circumstances, the better off you're going to be in the future when you can integrate this knowledge and do something better. So this is science that is certainly not wasted. Yeah, and and the- bismuth, iron oxide, not as esoteric as some of the things we've been seeing come out. Which is at least kind of nice. Yeah. Hmm. And the paper they're talking about uh, circuits operating at 0.1 volts. Yeah. Like actually, you know, tested like with results and stuff like that. Well, it it doesn't take much to kick around eight atoms. Yes. Also true. And hopefully. The problem being, it doesn't take much to kick around eight atoms. Uh, Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you might end up with seven atoms or six. <laughs> yeah, like, so, Oops, I kicked it a little too hard. Dang it. So, so so on this, what happens when you get a cosmic ray come in and blast well, that's, half the that's, thing away? Yeah. I mean, that's... Well, you remember the flip your bit thing? No, this is is this will be more flip your lid because you just lost the whole damn thing. Well, you just got to scale it to have like redundant nodes that are duplicating their yeah. workloads. And- yeah. You'll need parity for like CPU calculations. Yeah. That's just, not because uh, it's too small. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not an uncommon thought. Yeah, now that we're dealing it's a, with this stuff. That is eventually going to have to be a reality, regardless yeah. of what oh, any of these absolutely. technologies do. Eventually, something like you know cosmic rays, which I know sounds like a joke, but that's a thing. Um, you know, that's a thing that's already tested for now. Like Intel has an accelerator that they hit their SSD controllers with when they're testing firmware. Make sure the drive recognizes that nice. a bit flipped, and mm-hmm. it, and it, you know if it's an enterprise SSD, it'll like throw errors and stuff like on purpose, <laughs> right? So that's already kind of a thing, but you kind of need a high, relatively high energy, you know, uh-huh. impact to cause it now. But when you start going to levels like this, then yeah, you know. So that's why the Large Hadron Collider is shut down right now. <laughs> Intel <laughs> doing was throwing things tests. in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Intel confiscated. I think they use a smaller one. <laughs> I hope so <laughs> for their for their stuff. Well, uh, we have a development here. My Uh-oh. my shameless begging and pleading has paid off. Uh, unfortunately, though, you got to start somewhere. Th- this this very kind gentleman only gave his name, um, and it is Chris uh, uh, Dubiel or uh, Dubiel. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, but uh, he just became a new pledge, uh, new patron. Thank you, sir. Uh, and if you do want me to say something embarrassing, just send me a tweet and I'll say it next time. Uh, I owe you an embarrassing right. comment. Now is you're going to get so many tweets. Well, I, only from Chris here. Oh. Yeah. A limited, that uh-huh. offer limited to, to Chris. So thank you for that. Appreciate it. Um, all right. Well, let's jump into uh, the next story here, which is a, uh, a little interesting project that Jeremy found for us uh, via Hackaday. And it's a... Uh, mineral oil cooled or submerged uh, a Raspberry Pi. Uh, as opposed to a Ken Edison, yeah. As opposed to a as, yeah, as I, I did, learned. Did an intern do this? Uh, we, we, had to, we had to educate Jim earlier. Yeah, because I wasn't here. I've only been here for two years, a little, a little less than two years. So I, I missed this, but I was told there was a quite a spectacle uh, a few years ago. <laughs> I and, don't think uh, anything actually ever happened. No, no one believes you anymore. <laughs> it just turned it just turned into this crazy five-headed monster over Why would time. we still be talking about it so many years later if it wasn't true? Exactly. I know, right? But uh-huh. you know, and yet still every time I look for evidence, I can't find any. 
Well, he still wakes up screaming. Uh, I know. <laughs> I know when he, he does. Does. I have numerous reasons eyes. for that. Yeah. Yeah. The evidence yeah. is there. Also, do Raspberry Pis even run hot enough to need this? Okay. Interesting that you bring this up because, of course, with the PlayStation Classic launching and people have been like, I know LGR did a video, but a lot of people have done a video about using a Raspberry Pi 3 or some similar hardware to just do it yourself and how much better it is, et cetera, et cetera, as far as emulation goes. But one of the things that was brought up is that if you're using a Pi 3, for example, to emulate a PlayStation, it gets really hot to the point where you start to error out or have significant performance penalties. So you have to either use heat sinks, you can buy little heat sink kits. Uh, Air cooling is probably even better, but this would be kind of ideal for that. If you're doing any kind of significant 3D like game emulation. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but at that point though, wouldn't, you know, the hassle of having a big vat of mineral oil on your desk and... Wouldn't it just make more sense to buy a more performant base hardware this platform? This isn't about sense. Oh, okay. No, it's not. Yeah. Mineral oil cooling usually <laughs> never is. But uh, they, <laughs> they, they do note that they uh, – because this is not the first mineral oil-cooled Raspberry Pi. No. But they what they did here is they were able to submerge the entire thing instead of using like uh, 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 heat sinks and stuff. Or not heat sinks, but like water cooling uh, yeah, like water blocks. Yeah, water blocks. That's what I was looking for. Uh, because they they uh, soldered on extensions to all of the uh, I/O and anything else that would have been not ideal to submerge. Yep. And so they've got the USB and the video and all that running out of the case, so they can still keep the rest of the the board under. So, it, looking at the picture here, there's what looks like an inner chamber and an outer chamber. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Uh, there is a video. Um, yeah, and there's like a there's two fans on it, so it's. I think the fans are just pushing oil. That's kind of what I was thinking too. Well, I don't, I don't know. Seeing if I can find the timestamp that it'd show it. Oh, why there's two? Probably around there. You can oh, see. okay. Okay, so there's one. Is the second one just a catch in case it yeah. leaks? Maybe. Possibly. No, no. It's it's flowing through the fans. There, you can see it. So it's there's it's just circulation. Oh, okay. So the idea being that you can actually remove some of the hotter oil. Just two chambers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Hmm. Well, something to check out. I, uh, I personally would have just put a small heat tank on the Raspberry Pi. <laughs> since I well, you, you wouldn't know, have got a new yeah. story then. I know, I know. But I think what like what's the max draw on those things? Like five watts. <laughs> Something like that. The, the threes are getting up there. I mean, like, okay, ten watts. Like you know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure you can shove more through it. Probably. They're gonna overclock, and you know, next they'll be like LN2 cooling. I'm sure it's probably uh, already a thing. I think that's already been done. Oh dear. Well, here's something a little more performant than a Raspberry Pi, uh, although much more expensive. The answer is you found is Chris Brown, huh? What was the question? I don't. Thank you, Siri. She thought I said little more performance, and she said that the answer to that question was <laughs> it's Chris Brown, contro- controversial R and B star Chris Brown. <laughs> All right, little more performance. Thank you, Siri. Oh, 
Okay, then. Uh, have oh. we mentioned that Apple needs to work on its digital assistant it technology? It really, really does. <laughs> so, um, back to this Chromebook. Yeah. So, it's uh, the, <laughs> the Pixel Slate, uh, which uh, just launched uh, recently. It's it's uh, getting some really good reviews. They say it's a gorgeous screen. It's like a 3,000 by 2,000 um, uh, resolution. So, that nice that nice 3 by 2 ratio. It's uh, got a Core i5. doesn't have Thunderbolt um, and does not have a headphone jack. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a very nice, uh, nice overall product. Some of the sites that have reviewed it have said things like, finally, they nail, you know, Chrome OS is finally here. Um, and not only that, because not only because of the refinements here, but also I guess now it runs Linux apps alongside the Chrome, uh, Chrome apps and Android right, apps. Right. Yep. So a nice, you know, if, if this form factor is your thing and you can work with the apps you need inside Chrome, as well as having access to Android and Linux, um, and you got a touch ID fetish. A touch ID fetish. It, it actually has a fingerprint uh, scanner, which is one of the first ones in this form factor to do that on a Chromebook. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Is that on the the rear of the device? Uh, I think there's a picture if you follow the link. Yeah, I have not. Is, it, has anyone well got done. their hands on this here? Because I, I, we didn't we didn't review this, and so I haven't seen it uh, in person yet. Hmm. There's the camera. That's uh, okay. Just make fingerprints. Uh, uh, might have been on the uh, edge. Yeah, no, no, it's on the edge of it. Uh. Well, but that's maybe it's fingerprint via dongle. Oh, geez. Oh, what yeah, are they? What are they probably, Apple? It's probably like you swipe your finger across the thing on the edge of it, probably. Yeah. Well, check out. Uh, there's you know, Ars Technica's got this great, uh, obviously great uh, review with some nice pictures, and there's a ton of. Uh, People out there doing reviews of this, and and everything I've seen has been positive, and not not overwhelmingly positive for some, but uh, more positive than more positive than the yeah. previous line of high end Google Pixel right tablets have been. Hey, at least it's not a thousand dollars. Oh, geez. Well, this the full <laughs> uh, the full kit one is yeah, but if you skip the uh, keyboard and the stylus, six hundred bucks, which oh, okay. for a Chromebook Wait, so is six hundred dollars like for just a plain cheap tablet. Chips. Yeah. Man, those well, keyboards. That, what, the iPad Pro starts at seven ninety nine now. Those that... keyboards and styluses are getting awfully pricey. Yeah, yeah. The Apple Pencil is not cheap, and neither I mean, is there's a million apparently. keyboards and keyboard cases and that sort of thing for iPads. But certainly, the premium, like the Pixel premium Chromebook market, is a little high still, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and ever since, what, what did they call that first real crazy? Was the Pixel Book? Like the real high end Chrome tab or Chrome laptop that they came out with a few years ago? Oh, starting at 1100 and going way up from there. Yeah. Um, that always seemed like they, did, they weren't offering enough to justify it. And still, it may not be a pure win in terms of value proposition even now, but having Linux apps, a bit, uh, having access to Linux app, having, having access to Android apps, having Chrome OS continue to be refined, having the hardware, at least Google's had some hit and miss, hits and misses with their hardware, um, but so far so good with this. So, you know, this is something uh, worth looking at as an iPad competitor for sure, at least an iPad Pro competitor. Mm-hmm. Does, does this have the always-on SIM option as well? It probably uh, does at probably. this point. Because if this can do SIM connectivity, run Linux apps, and support full disk encryption, mm. 
That's uh No, I don't see Sim. Okay. Okay, that makes it not I'm nearly so, as Well, cool. you just need to tether it no, to... No, I'm your... pretty sure I would have noticed that. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised that that wouldn't be part of it at this point, though. Like, isn't that just kind of like an assumed thing at this point? Well, they, they would want yeah. you to tether to your Project Fi phone, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, well, something to check out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, continuing on with the news, uh, NVIDIA had some announcements, uh, additional announcements, not just the, the product announcements with the Titan, but uh, they had some AI and physics related stories. Uh, Sebastian had a uh, uh, briefing with him on this, some AI stuff. Uh, so why don't you tell us about this? Yeah, it was interesting. We didn't get, you know, really enough time as complex as this topic is to really get a handle on it. But the and the video is is key like if you have any interest in this at all watch the video the embed is in the article but essentially what they did was went from live action footage they shot from a car they took that back with them they trained they used ai basically they trained it to say like this is a car this is a building and at a very high level like labeled things for them like color coded it and then uh, basically using UE4, Unreal Engine 4, the deep learning system rendered the same scene in 3D. So the, the end result is not perfect by any means, like it, but compared to, to what's been done before, it is a significant step forward. And the idea is, as it continues to improve, was really like a year and a half, two years into this research. As it continues to improve, then theoretically you could just go out and shoot live action uh, for backgrounds or for any kind of real life thing that would appear in a game. They they stress that too, like this is not like to create like fantastic, uh, like otherworldly types of things. This is for that real life kind of stuff that you'd want in a game. Like and, dancing Gungam style. <laughs> yeah, now that that is another oh thing my. entirely. If you if you're watching the video, uh, the other side of this beyond just like video to video is the still image capability, which is possibly the most interesting part of this, and what will eventually, I'm sure, be the most controversial part of this, which is the ability to take a still image and then basically train the AI animate the still image using like a like for example like a, a model like you have a, a a wireframe or like a some sort of a stick figure model that's animated very roughly but then it learns all the movements it learns uh, how the human body moves where all the joints are and then it can take the still image and animate it and in the video they show one of the engineers dancing gungam style and he said, that's not me. I don't know how to do that. I would not do that. They just took an image of him standing there in his office and then took a model video, which was a, a woman dancing, and then it learned how to animate him dancing. So it appears that he is actually doing it. Uh, so you could essentially take any still image and have someone do anything you want in that's video. insane. Which is a little scary, but, mm -hmm. you know... That was also uh, part of their research. So interesting things happening in the world of AI research. I feel like 
there's basically nothing that they won't eventually be able to do. So it's that's the sort of exciting slash frightening part of all of this. Yeah. We really need that soundboard with the Jeff Goldblum slash Ian Malcolm. Uh-huh. Never stop to think if they should. Uh-huh. Plus, there's a lot of other stuff I can think to put <laughs> yeah. on a soundboard like that. But, uh, yeah, so that is, that's, uh, yeah, that is terrifying. That's a thing. <laughs> that is, I mean, but although a lot of new industries will pop up, you know, like uh, verifying, you know, the authentic celebrity sex tapes and authentic political gaffes and, you know, you know, we, we guarantee no AI manipulation in our product kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can promise that even at this point. Well, I, but they would, they would market it that way. You, you remember the episode of Futurama where Fry orders like a, a virtual Lucy Lou for himself. Oh, yes. God. Don't have <laughs> sex just, with robots. They just skin a bot. They have a robot. They just skin it for you. And it has like a pre-recorded like voice synthesis. And it sounds like her and looks like her. That's I'm sure like some somewhere between a VR headset and AI training of a still image. It's coming. Mm-hmm. Well, I Very always I suddenly crave popcorn for some reason. I, I always wondered what. uh what the video of Alex Trebek making love to Kathy uh, Griffin would look like, but now, some things man was not meant to know that anymore. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, the uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. But let's uh, let's jump to the next Nvidia announcement, which involves uh, physics. Uh, remember that? I mean, I do remember it's that. Still it's still a thing. a thing, but it's not what it once was. Right. Um, and probably because of that, they're open sourcing it. Uh, Scott wrote this up for us. Uh, not only, not only are they open sourcing it because a lot of tech companies, Microsoft and Google, you know, they, they open source things and sometimes it's not really, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's open source technically, but under some owner's terms there, uh, NVIDIA in this case is putting it under, uh, the three line, uh, Berkeley software distribution, uh, scheme or what do you call it? It's a tier. Um, basically, which means, Hey, you can do whatever you want. This can be commercial. It can be non-commercial. You can modify it. You can leave it unmodified and redistribute it. Redistribute it. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Ah, um, it, you'll, you just have to basically uh, waive any right you have to sue or hold NVIDIA accountable for the performance or issues that may arise from it sure. and then include credit as you pass that software along or that code along. Uh, so who knows You know what could come from this? Um, I guess uh, Unity is a little bit behind. They're they're only on uh, PhysX three. The current versions uh, the SDK is four four point and they're on three point three. Um, Epic uh, is uh, more up to date in their engine, but we're not sure yet. They, I don't think they've said what they're going to do specifically regarding this. Um, but on top of that, Scott notes that this version is is sta- more stable and faster. So it's a better version of physics that they're giving into the open source uh, community. Uh, so maybe this will, I mean, uh, I don't know what looking forward and looking at ray tracing and looking at, at, at the new technologies that NVIDIA is, is, is pushing and its competitors are pushing. I don't know where this falls, but maybe, maybe somebody will pick this up and run with it and, mm-hmm. and create something, something cool. Because SLI is dead, so I need something to dedicate my second Titan to. And I've already set it in the control panel to be a physics card, but I don't think it's doing anything. Okay. Well, <laughs> Where you have one, 
Titan running as a physics card. Well, why not? I mean, if you, in so many games these days, if you enable SLI, it decreases performance or introduces some other issues like uh, tearing and stuttering and whatever. Um, so I have the two cards in there. Might as well turn, check that box in the control panel. Well, if it makes you feel better. It, it really does. Thank you. It really does. Um, some more uh, chip news. So this one from PowerVR. They've got uh, they had two launches or two announcements this week. Uh, one is uh, their GPU lineup. They've got three new products out. Uh, it's the 9X EP, uh, which is going to be the lower-end GPU for like uh, UIs, like car entertainment systems. They say casual gaming, but I mean anything beyond like maybe – you know, Bejeweled is probably not going to be ideal for this. Um, and then they've got, for like the more mainstream gaming, they got the 9X MP and then the 9X TP at the high end uh, for, you know, the, the the flagship smartphones and perhaps like NVIDIA Shield-like set-top boxes and things like that. Um, and I hope it's compatible with Diablo. <laughs> I'm sure they'll, I'm sure, because everyone's going to want to play that. Um, and so they, they show they've got, you know, looking at the performance of, of their, their the performance increase of their product line and their target markets, um, you know, they're up against stiff competition. And, uh, and so this I was going to say, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head what design wins they have out there in the market anymore. Uh, it's because there was a time when Apple was using uh, their technology, right? Early on. It was like the iPhone yeah. 4, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, and they they've been, they were in some phones as recently as 2017, but it, they weren't market leading phones. Um, so yeah, this is not. Um, you know, they're hoping that this will get them back, uh, at least in some conversations. Uh, and they're available right now for licensing. So if you're building platforms in your garage. That's something to consider. And then paired with that, of course, is a new uh, AI neural network. Deep learning, all the buzzwords. Uh, it's the Series 3 NX Neural Network Accelerator. And this is uh, more interesting uh, because it's a series of chips that scan uh, or that uh, uh, range from as little as 0.6 uh, trillion operations per second. So that's yeah. uh, tops, I guess, oh. um, uh, to 10. Uh, so that's, that's a, quite a, a large uh, range of, of performance to choose from. And um, – they they provide uh, they're targeting this this whole sort of uh, neural the neural learning APIs the distributed or multi what do they call it multi node yeah uh, I think that's right multi node or multi node cooperation for for uh, for learning and you can combine them you can combine multiple uh, chips into a single uh, platform um, and so again not sure what products these are heading for but uh you know they see that they see that everyone's excited about neural networks and deep learning and all that and they're they're jumping on that on that bandwagon anybody anybody have any thoughts on on, on power vr's latest efforts here i just wonder what it's going to end up actually being in since, yeah you know everybody seems to be trying to do their own thing now they need to clean up with lucid logic <laughs> It'd be perfect. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if somebody like Huawei uh, would yeah. mm-hmm. license this. I mean, they, they don't have the technology themselves. They license off other people. And, uh, you know, the, typically they've used the, the ARM um, Molly type stuff. Yeah. 
Um, and Molly is, is great and all, but boy, Power VR has a long history of, of pretty good products and uh, a lot of expertise in the, in the, in the gosh, words escaped me today. Um, in the space. And, uh, you know, the, yeah, they're, they're, they're incredibly worried about where they're at and hopefully they pulled out all the, uh, stops and, and, and have created something really good with this. We'll see. They have, you know, multiple levels of products that, uh, they can sell to different individuals with, uh, different needs. And so, yeah, I, I hope to not see this technology die, even though in, in my youth, my relatively misspent youth when power VR was going up against 3d effects and me as the fanboy at the time thought that power VR was the devil. Biased. And now I realize that, and look you know, you it's all just look technology. Yep, this is your fault, Josh. It's not my fault. <laughs> all right. Sebastian, what were you going to say? I think I've said what I have to say. You oh, heard me. Oh, never mind. Not really, but that's okay. He was just saying that you were without blame for this, yeah. for the troubles of Power VR, right? And I don't want to say troubles because I don't know what their financial situation is. I just know that they haven't been in a lot of. This has gotten big very products. dark very fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> let's talk about something uh, potentially good, potentially bad. Uh, Microsoft. It, it was uh, revealed this week is considering. A new Chrome-based, Chromium-based browser product that would replace Edge. And obviously, Edge has had a rough go of it. Uh, it's not Edge's fault. Edge isn't the one who prematurely released itself on Windows 10 <laughs> without the ability to save a file with a right-click menu. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, Edge, uh, a lot of people have talked about it, uh, both good and bad. It has some positive things it does generally have the best battery life on a windows 10 device mobile device um compared to chrome and stuff uh it has better font rendering i think it has smooth scrolling that's a little nicer than even what you can get in chrome with some add-ons and stuff is there something you'd like to confess to us jim what do you mean he's an edge user sounds like you like edge no no, so i was going to was i want to like edge I keep every now and then I open Edge and I'm like, I'm going to use Edge today. And then it does a Bing search instead of a Google search. And then I throw the computer against the wall. So it's, I and mean, then it tries Internet Explorer. Right. And uh, <laughs> hey, hey now, Internet Explorer 6 was the greatest browser of all time. And then his computer gets hacked. <laughs> well, it's fine. Well, uh, the wonderful thing is, though, that, that they'll make sure that the only browser that by design is actually fully compatible with SharePoint Online will no longer be compatible with SharePoint online. That's right. Exactly. It's, it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> I, I don't envy those support calls you'll have in a few months. Oh, nor do I. Um, but uh, another problem with Edge, of course, was that they couldn't get the extensions going. You have to get them through the Windows Store. There's not a lot to choose from. They don't work as well as Google Chrome extensions or even Firefox extensions. Uh, well, I'm not joking when I said they've been trying to get those Chrome extensions to work on Edge for forever. Yeah, not very well, but, you know. So, obviously, switching to Chromium, you, you get the uh, Chrome ecosystem, basically, overnight. 
uh, depending on how Microsoft wants to. It depends on how they implement it. Yeah, how it. they implement it. Yeah. But I, uh, I would imagine. Through the Windows Store. Yeah, imagine if they're going to do that. But, but at least then a Chrome extension developer can just check a box and doesn't have to do anything. Um, so that's something there. You know, obviously uh, it, it helps people who have issues with Edge rendering certain sites. I know I don't know how bad that is today, but it was an issue a year or two ago. But it reduces the diversity, if this is true, it reduces the diversity in the browser market because then you've got WebKit and uh, Gecko. That's Vivaldi. Gecko, yeah. I mean, but yeah, oh. you basically you're turning it over to WebKit pretty much. Yeah. And, uh, and I just don't, I don't know how they're going to sell I mean, will they just call it Edge? Will it just become Edge? Or will they try to brand and sell a new browser to their users? And when I say sell, I mean like pitch, you know, convince them to use. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's just, the, the, the Microsoft of Satya Nadella is like uh, almost like a lunatic. I mean, he's doing so well in terms of the financial, like the stock price, but they're, they're canceling products. They're, mm-hmm. they're changing things. They're, you know, delaying features or introducing features too soon. It's, it's just kind of all over the place. And, um, I can't say I'm too upset because most of the things that they've killed off were not that great, but uh, interesting to follow this one. So I don't know. I mean, would you guys give whatever they're going to call this, whether it's Edge 2.0 or or something else? Would you, would you give it another? Would you give it another shot if it was based on Chromium? Do you think Alexa is going to give us a chance to at least not try it once? Oh, you mean Cortana? Or sorry, or, well, whichever one <laughs> of those annoying things she, that yell at me all the time. She may be dead by this time too. Uh, who knows? One yeah. can only They're hope. sort of disenfranchising Cortana a little bit. This is interesting because it, if you follow rumors about Windows Phone at all, uh, the Surface Phone, mm. there, there <laughs> have been rumors kind of swirling for a while now that they would be switching to Android, kind of like Windows apps built on Android for their next phone platform if they do return to the smartphone space. It's kind of interesting that... I'd say that a huge roadblock for a lot of people, more savvy users anyway, with Edge would be that they can't run their extensions. There are a lot of really useful extensions out there, and if they're not available on that platform, that's a huge problem. So we talk about like friction points in relation to browser usage and that sort of thing. That it completely eliminates it if you go to the open standard that you know everything is built to work on because Chrome is so pervasive. Then Chrome has all the extensions. They have everything. So you'd immediately have that. Just like if on the phone platform, if they went to Android, suddenly the Play Store is available. You can download any app. Yeah. And Microsoft apps come installed on the phone. So, Well, although that, to follow up, like the second part of that story, I mean, they may well go with Windows Core OS still because that's apparently still a thing that they're developing as fast as they can. That's right. Yeah, the Windows Lite. Yes, so, and it'll be interesting because, I mean, uh, Windows RT was just such a win. Uh, and 10s, although I've never had to, the pleasure of playing with it directly, I've heard is just about as wonderful. And it just the whole implementation throughout the Nokia th- years, it, it was just abysmal. To the point where a Microsoft product wasn't compatible with Microsoft products without bringing in a third party to get them to work together. So, you know, we'll see what WCOS is like. Uh, if, As they're describing it, it'll work on Qualcomm, it'll work on ARM, it, it, it doesn't care, it'll work on anything. Question being, of course, you know, what 
level of work. It, it might be consistent across the board, but uh, consistency is only a virtue if you're not a fuck up. Well said. That's the quote of the year. All right. So keep an eye on Edge and keep an eye out for some developments with whatever they end up calling the at least the consumer facing version of Windows Core OS, Windows Lite or 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 whatever. Uh a couple more news stories just to quickly round out the week here. Um Silverstone's back. I think we talked about them last week. Uh they've got some interesting power supplies. So last week they had an SFX power supply that reached a new level of power, although their Corsair is quickly on their heels. Uh, this week, they've got a new series in their Strider Platinum line. It's the PTS series, which are 1,000 and 1,200 watt power supplies that are not SFX form factor, but they're 40 millimeters shorter than a standard ATX power supply. Uh, so I think the standards is standard depth, I think, is 180, 180 millimeters. These are 140. SFX is 125. So you're not going to be cramming this in a true small, you know, compact case meant for an SFX supply. But if you've got a smaller case uh, or if you're building a custom case or if you just got, you've got a normal case, but the way the cable management is, you just can't fit them all in the back and mm-hmm. you need a little extra room to route those cables, not a bad option. And those are wattages that are absolutely adequate for even the highest build and uh, builds. Um, the only downside is price. You're going to pay more for that compact design. Uh, the, uh, 1,000 watt model is going to be 210, um, and the 1,200 watt model is going to be 240. And you look at other platinum rated supplies because these are pl- uh, uh, 80 plus platinum. Uh, that's about a 25 percent higher price than like a standard 180 millimeter depth supply from Corsair or uh, EVGA. Um, so it's good to have that choice. It is, you know, be careful when you're pricing it out. Uh, if you don't need it, don't spend the money. If you don't need that extra space, but uh, good for some some case flexibility. Yeah. When I first started reviewing cases for the site like four and a half years ago, one of the first cases I did was the N case M1, which was that crowdfunded, very small yeah. mini ITX case. And it had ATX power supply support, but it had to be either a modular 140 millimeter like this one. And I actually bought a Silverstone 140 millimeter, which back then was like 550 watts. Mm-hmm. I think the the biggest one you could get. And it was either that or a 160 non-modular, but, you know, one of these 140 millimeter, which I ended up using a lot for different case reviews, coupled with, I know Silverstone sells their own very short cable set yeah, with like ribbon style cables. Those will go into almost any small enclosure that accepts an ATX power supply and clean up very nicely. So it's Silverstone always seems to be on the edge of, of, of density so mm-hmm. not surprising to me that they would be this power dense at 140 millimeters, but it's nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and those are shipping mid-January, so uh, check those out. Uh, finally, um, I'm sorry, not, uh, second to last, uh, we've got a uh, story here from uh, uh, Jeremy about a Thermaltake RGB power supply, uh, which uh, Kit Grewer took a look at. Yep, and uh, lost most of their vision because, boy, does this thing bloody bright. (laughs) Does it actually run on RGB power alone? (laughs) No, no, that's actually might might have caused some of the electrical problems that they were seeing uh, in the full tests. Uh, you got to jump forward a bit to actually see the RGBs. Uh, 
It's not bad. It follows a similar design to the ones you were talking about. So it's a 140 mil fan, but the PSU is only 160 mils long. So it's it's a little more compact than a lot of the ones you'd see on the market. Uh, at least uh, you know 750 seven and plus wattage range. Uh, performance, I think it was. I might have some pictures in there. Ah, uh, no. See that no. we really should have queued this up ahead of time. I'm sorry, folks. Oh, why bother? I and so I mean it, it's a gold rated uh, PSU, so it, it is 80 plus gold. But what they found uh, was that when you turned it on, it was not the happiest thing in the planet. The inrush currents were relatively low, and once it got up and running. Uh, especially at 230 watt, it just, there was a huge amount of vampire power being used by it, which had nothing to do, of course, with the giant RGBs glowing out of it. So if you're really looking for something that, and honestly, overall, the the performance was not bad. It was a solid PSU. There were just some, you know, questions about the, the quality of the caps because it, it didn't turn on very nicely and it sucks power like you wouldn't believe just running an idle. But on the other hand, it's got a 10-year warranty, and if you're really, really into the RGBs and you need it either handled by hardware or you can get software, I go for it, I guess. Enjoy it. Make sure that you get some RGB power cables to go on it, too. Do they have Cause... RGB SATA cables yet, Alan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's been yeah. a thing. Okay. Well, I just scanned through the article. I couldn't find any pictures like with the lights out and the RGBs on, so... Yeah, that's what I was looking Maybe. for too. I didn't see it. Yeah. Well, well, well. Yeah, we'll take. I'm, sure, it's in there somewhere. It wouldn't say it on the box if they didn't actually do it. So, um, all right. Well, so yeah. So uh, this one, don't be, don't be allured by the glowing lights. Trust the measurements. Yeah, it's a wee bit of a niche, but I mean, if you like the glowing lights, that's your thing. Yep. And uh, finally, for the week, uh, we've got uh, an announcement from Jeremy about um, Mech Warrior Mercenaries. Sorry, Mech Warrior 5 Mercenaries. Hello, Commander. Reactor online. Sensors online. Mm-hmm. Weapons online. All systems will not be nominable until September next year. Oh, that's, a, that's quite a... It's a long freaking way. But... I got to tell you, the trailer was given or the this little thing was giving me goosebumps. And they actually gave uh, at MechCon a Twitch uh, presentation of four person cooperative multiplayer, hmm. which is just a little bit wild and wacky for a MechWarrior game. It, it really looks interesting to bring a group of friends together and play a lance and go freaking nuts with wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, a King Crab. Cooperative multiplayer in like a campaign, like against AI. I, I, I. Well, because it was not just a. This is the a, a random scenario. Like at the beginning of it, there's it's saying your opposing faction is taking over the city. You guys get together, go out and do it. Huh. So I'm sure you'll be able to play alone, but the idea of actually you and four mates or three mates. Running around in big stompy bots, just destroying the countryside with lots and lots of crunchies to step on. That's another thing you didn't really see in the previous ones. You didn't get many vehicles. This has aircraft and ground 
I mean, it's just, going to be. They're just walking through buildings and just wrecking them. Oh, yeah. Because like, it's been a long time since the last one came out. Yeah. So it's. The graphics have gotten a hell of a lot better. And I've tried Mech Warrior Online and I should go back to it. I, I had some issues with my joystick that made it not so much fun because there was no limit to the joystick. So unless I was extremely careful, I was essentially just pointing straight up in the air, straight down to the ground. Oh. There was no limitation to the area it moved in. And some other things just didn't really get me with the whole pay-to-win scenarios. But this just looks ridiculously fun. I don't think I've played any Mech Warrior game since the very first one. Yeah. Which I played on an underpowered, even at the time, like Packard Bell, where it was a slideshow. It was what was the the first one for me, which I kept replaying when I got like a voodoo card or something, mm-hmm. because, you know, then you can play it. Mech Warrior 2. Yeah, Mech Warrior 2. Um, Mech 2 Mercenaries. And then I yep. played, the next one I played was like. I want to say it was like Probably an Xbox four? or a PlayStation game. No, it was Xbox. Like OG Xbox? It was like the OG Xbox, one of the oh. Warrior games on that. That was actually pretty fun. That it had like a really long series of campaign stuff that you would you would yeah. play through. Mm-hmm. It might, yeah. I mean, it was a mech, I don't know. I don't know if it was like an, one of the official Warrior games even. It might have just been like one of the. It was fastest sponsored, if I remember it right. What was it? Earth Siege. It was by Sierra. It I've was of kind it. of the Mech Warrior. Oh, it might it but, might have been that. Yeah, but that was like the last time I actually got into like a mech mech based game. I want to get into a mech based game. This one looks like I would get into it, but like you know, once they go crazy on the time. online stuff and everything else, I just want to be able to sit down and play through a challenging campaign, not be you know have a bunch of script kitties on there messing around, blowing random things up that weren't like part of the object of the game but that's what online gaming is i know that's why i don't do it yeah all right well let's jump into the picks of the week um and i think i'm up first all right yes so i've got a pick this week uh it's a book uh it's from brad sams it just came out i think this this week uh, Brad Sams is, uh, he was a longtime writer at, uh, Neowin, and then he now works for, what is the parent company of Petri? It's Blue Wide Whale, BWW. Something like that. Something. Well, it's, it's, uh, uh-huh. Petri.com, which is like an IT site that also, uh, I don't know if they own or partners with therot.com. And so he, he's, he does a lot of stuff with Paul and Mary Jo, and he wrote a book. Uh, so he's very Microsoft focused, and he wrote a book, uh, called Beneath a Surface, and it's it's a look at basically start to finish the Surface brand, huh. the Surface product line, going all the way back to that original table, um, and all the way up through the the most recent Surface products that they announced uh, just a few months ago. It's really interesting, and I don't I don't want to say this because you know Brad's a local Cincinnati guy, so you know we're going to represent local crew here, but. I mean, I still recommend it if you're interested in this, but he's, he's not – his style of writing isn't suited to a book. Like I, I was thinking when I saw this, you know, there are a lot of books that are technical that could be very dry, but they still have like a narrative. Like th- th- there's just a flow to it that you expect from a book factor instead of like an article. Things like Masters of Doom or Console Wars or When Computing Got Personal. And these are books about technical topics that, that still are entertaining and flow well. And this book, 
it just it read like a giant 200 page article and it was you know very matter of fact there's a lot of interesting tidbits he interviewed like dozens and dozens of people inside and outside of microsoft uh, i learned a bunch of stuff that i didn't know about the surface and the decisions that kind of went into the branding and um, and it's a good look at, at, you know, how he, from his journalist perspective, worked with other journalists as they were uncovering stuff about the various Surface products. Uh, so it's definitely, if you're interested in this, it's, it's worth a read. But it, it, it's, a, it's not an easy read in the sense that it doesn't, just doesn't flow. Um, and so I don't know if, that, I think this is his first book. So maybe that's just something he can work on if he wants to, you know, make, make writing a bigger, uh, writing books at least a bigger part of his life. But uh uh, definitely recommend it for for those interested in that uh, in that topic. It's not it's a uh, ten bucks on the Kindle. I don't know if there's a, a, a physical version because there's a lot of uh, illustrations in it, like pictures and, and references, but they're real tiny on the Kindle. So I don't know if they were translated from like a maybe an EPUB that has, is in full color or if there's a print book. Um, but through Amazon, it's uh, ten bucks. Uh, so so check that out. Beneath a surface uh, by Brad Sams. No, it's actually really interesting because I, I will admit to being completely wrong. When this thing came out, I thought it was a complete and utter stupid move on Microsoft's part. And, uh, you know, Gigabyte and a bunch of the other partners that were selling Microsoft licenses with their hardware saying, stay out of our lane, boys. This mm-hmm. is not nice. Yep. Well, that, and I was wrong. That- it's a solid product ever since. And every single one that I've deployed to a user has been sent back for being unable to do what they wanted it to. <laughs> well, uh, the, the issue, uh, I mean, the first, the first couple versions were failures. Like, oh, even, gosh, yeah. even in the most positive <laughs> perspective. And it was people like Panos Panay who like drove the, the determination from inside the company to keep pushing forward. And it took them a while and it's still not, a perfect product by any means, but it, the starting with surface pro three, that third generation, it turned around. And I remember I had my, my cousin, my cousin who's 10 years younger than I was when I was just starting tech review, I bought a surface pro. I think it was a surface pro two, maybe Yeah, and probably. she came um, to visit and she was just starting medical school and she saw it and I wasn't like showing it off or anything. It was just sitting there and she goes, Oh, a surface that's awesome. And she is not at all technical, not at all, never interested in computers or anything uh, yeah. electronic. But she heard all the hype. What's and a computer? Right, right. And <clears throat> I'm like, uh, okay, yeah. Hype train worked. <laughs> uh, so it, it, there's something captured uh, a certain segment of the market, and, and, and uh, they, haven't, they haven't let go. They haven't had, it hasn't become a, a breakout success, but it's appears to be making money that 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 brand now finally after all those write downs but, well, we're deploying a few in the near future so we'll see how it goes yeah maybe they'll keep these ones yeah we'll see <laughs> but speaking uh, of things that aren't surfaces yes if you want some uh, i got a friend who's looking uh, for a, a he doesn't want to pay workstation class prices for a laptop uh, but he's looking for something that can at least be a little bit GPU accelerated when he's uh, doing some programming and stuff. So I've been sniffing around and I found this MSI one that is actually a really damn good deal. It's not brand new. I mean, I'm not going to tell you that uh, the, you know, uh, what is it that I think on this one, it's the GTX 16 or 1060, but it's on sale for 1470 bucks with 
20 bucks off with a promo code and another $150 rebate card. That's pretty good. Jeez. And you get a 1060, you get an 870 or an 8750H. You get the full terabyte for your storage and a 128 gig M.2 SATA drive, which usually adds like 500 bucks to your cost right off the bat. A decent 1080p IPS monitor. It's not ridiculously heavy. Yet you got to give up on your Thunderbolt, but for this price, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue that this is not worth picking up if you're looking for something that can do light gaming, light programming, and is a damn good bang for your buck. And you still get USB-C, so at least you can... And 16 gigs of memory, too, at that price. Mm -hmm. All right, that's... Limited time, so uh, if you're thinking about it, check it out quick. Awesome. So that's the uh, MSI GV62, and uh, the pricing and the rebates uh, Jeremy mentioned are at Newegg. Uh, possibly elsewhere, but uh, at least we know for sure they're at Newegg. The Amazon deal wasn't as good, at least in Canada. U.S. prices may vary. Yeah, and generally do. Uh, okay, so I'm going to take a guess and see who who's recommending the Logitech Dual Motor Feedback Driving Force G29 racing wheel. Well, probably the guy with the shirt that says, I still play with cars. That's not me. <laughs> I didn't pick the wheel. Yeah. I still play with cars. But I it was, it was someone wheel. who just reviewed this. No, oh, I think it was reviewed Ken. a similar product, right? Yeah, Ken, Ken, Ken made that choice for me because I do everything Ken says. Oh, okay. I see. So we don't want to go into that. <laughs> anything? Anything but more anyway, you want to say on this? Two hundred thirty-eight bucks for a solid wheel. Dirt Rally Two is coming out in uh, what February? Project Cars 2 is out now. I mean, it's uh, uh, Forza Horizon 4 is out as well. There's a lot of really good racing titles out there. Yep. Yep. The only downside and more being, coming soon. Yeah, uh, Both versions will work with PC, but if you have both consoles, you got to pick one or the other, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the 920 is Xbox and PC, but the G29 is PC and PS4. The uh, well, No matter what anyone says, they've always got a favorite child. The the G twenty nine might be favored if you only ever if only intend to use it on PC because it has more yeah. uh, has more like more knobs buttons and, and the oh, red right, yeah. lights yeah those are and handy. it's uh, like seven bucks cheaper than the sweet for whatever reason yeah. what's funny is uh, when I saw your review go up Josh it, it prompted me to look back at like how much did I spend on that racing wheel that I bought because I bought one but partially due to Josh's influence like a few years back. Turns out, sorry. turns out I got one when these two wheels came out and we all scoffed at the prices and I was like, there's no way I'm spending that. Sorry. Uh, there happened to be like, you know, within a month or two of that launch, they started uh, blowing out G27s uh, or G9, what is it, G27? Yeah, G27s. Yeah. The, they, start, you could find it for 175 to 200 bucks. Yes. And that's what oh. I did. I, I bought one for like 180 bucks. And that was with the pedals and the shifter. Yeah. Right? And that was, you know, less than half the cost of just the wheel and pedals of the new model. Granted, you don't get as many. Is your steering wheel leather wrapped? Yeah, it was still a leather wheel. Oh, wow. Yeah, it just had, it only had like three buttons on one side and three buttons on the other. It didn't have like this whole, you know, big mishmash of stuff on the front. Which, granted, is cool. Um, But, you know. I'm, I'm, I'll, I make do with mine. I don't really have a need to, to update. Not yet, at least. 
Yeah, and unlike the G27, this really doesn't have a dead spot in center. Yeah. It's got a little bit of one, but not nearly what the G27 was. Yeah, because they changed how the sensors worked on this one. All right, so that's uh, Logitech uh, G29 or 920, depending on your console preference, if you have one. But if you don't have a console preference, do the nine, do the the G twenty nine. That's about two hundred forty bucks at Amazon right now. Yeah, it's not bad. All right, Alan. Yeah, so uh, I don't have this yet. I ordered it through the whole Black Friday, you know, crazy uh, sale kind of phase that we just went through um, because the price had finally come down low enough for me to pull the trigger on one. But there's plenty of video reviews out there. Um, if you look for the ES one twenty one which is one of those motorized, uh, just, you know, mini screwdriver, but it's motorized, mm-hmm. right? So it's a, like a beefier version, like a slightly bulkier version of your typical iFixit toolkit screwdriver, where it uses the same kind of bits and everything, except they've managed to squeeze a motor and like a gear reduction all into the screwdriver. Like mm-hmm. it's all in there um, with like mm-hmm. special clutches and stuff. And they've managed to make it all work pretty well. Um there was an ES120 that this one replaces. Uh, this one supposedly has less torque and faster speed, but in the tests I've seen people do where they were trying to measure the torque output, it's basically the same torque, but it spins like almost twice as fast or something like that, which whenever you see these portable motorized screwdrivers, like these, these mini screwdrivers, usually you're just kind of sitting there waiting for them to turn, mm. and they're usually pretty weak. This is... Supposedly, neither of those. I've seen lots of, you know, pretty much a like glo- for what it is, glowing reviews of this thing, and uh, it does have uh, they call it gyro motion control, but it's pretty cool. It's like there's an accelerometer in it that can measure twisting, not just you know X Y Z motion, right? And you actually, when you twist your hand as if you were loosening the screw. That's what prompts the screwdriver to start turning yeah. in the loosened yeah. direction, and it goes the other way in the tight direction. And there's also a not a speed-based mode, but a torque-based mode. So the more you twist your hand, the higher the torque output, hmm. which is more conducive to if you're, if you're actually trying to you know, tighten and loosen delicate screws yeah. and yeah. you're trying to be delicate. You can't if it's just saying... You know, oh, if you twist his hand, I'm just going to turn at this RPM no matter what. Yeah. Right? That's when you start I've, stripping threads. I've seen threads. that feature on a lot of similar products, but I haven't seen the torque one. That right. seems, yeah. There's a torque yeah. limit, and there's like three different or three or four different stages of maximum torque that it will do. So if you're not worried about the torque being proportional, but you just want to go to a specific limit and just have it not tighten any more than that, mm-hmm. it'll, you can just set it to one of those like presets and do that instead. So pretty handy if you're you know, constantly taking uh, things with very small screws apart and trying to put them back together and to the point where your wrist actually starts hurting, which I have a stack of SSDs on my desk that I'm working on a roundup review of that I'd had to take them all apart and it was kind of, a you know, <laughs> started wearing on me. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of screws in these things and when you have a stack of them, you're trying to take apart like in rapid succession. Or if you're working on some model that just, or a laptop that just has like, you know, two dozen Mm-hmm. screws around the bottom just to get the bottom shell off and then all these other things it's just you know much handier to have something like this around and it uses the standard i think they're eighth inch or four millimeter style bits like mm-hmm. your your standard i fix it toolkit style bits um we'll work with this 
So, nice. Now this is a very impressive GPU. It has 18 screws on it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 18 yeah. screws to remove. All right, 3D game man. <laughs> this hard drive has six screw holes. All right, last up, uh, we've got some more classic gaming goodness from Sebastian. Yes, but with a twist, because this is not some you know archaic component like actually two-hand. I have this... Um, I thought Al's had the twist. Orchid Pro Designer 2 uh, <laughs> video card, which Ooh, actually, this is on the very short list of cards that are compatible with the IBM uh, 5150, by the way. It's a VGA card. But no, uh, my pick is, that a, is actually Sing Labs. Chip? It does for for two D. Yeah, uh, maybe that's for three D. I don't know if it's a combination or what. I don't really know. Sing Labs, they 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 had a uh, a design that they were working on, but they went out of business before they could finish their actual three D chip. So, oh, okay, their uh, their two D one hundred twenty eight bit, you know, Sing Labs ET six thousand, I think. Was, yeah, it was a great two D card. Moving along, moving along. So my pick is actually just a piece of software, and it's free. It is Munt, and that is Mike Uniform November November Tango. Uh, and if you search for it, uh, it's on I think GitHub, and you. It's very, very easy to configure and use with DOSBox. And the reason you don't need anything but this software is, well, you also need to find the ROMs out there, which, of course, they don't provide. But they're out there, easy to find. You can, you can use these with a lot of GOG games. You don't have to actually buy the big box game or find the floppies on eBay or something. GOG uh, DOS games are often just the files from a DOS install. And then they have like you know the the settings and everything pre-configured with a little instance of DOSBox. And, but what they often do, I've noticed, is they have a little shortcut inside of the game folder. If you navigate to your dot your GOG games folder, find the game, open up the folder. There may very well be a shortcut already there to open up the game's original install or sound setup application. And I recent I just did this testing out the month emulator with uh, Star Trek 25th anniversary. And there was a link in there. So I, it opened me up to the old sound setup and it lets you choose like you have an ad lib card, you have a game blaster or sound blaster card. And one of the options is a Roland and the older games that are referencing Roland are not referencing sound canvas, like general MIDI stuff. They're referencing the MT 32. And sometimes it's called out by name. Sometimes it just says Roland sound or Roland music. But for the games that had Roland soundtracks. This, the game's soundtrack was actually written for or written on the MT32. And there are YouTube videos out there to kind of compare the differences, and they're they're huge differences. The the most popular one it seems to compare with is The Secret of Monkey Island, mm-hmm. which just sounds like a completely different soundtrack on a Roland versus like an ad lib card or yeah. Secret of Monkey Island. Uh, game was Blaster. Like, Secret of Monkey Island was, was like the benchmark game to show off. Like yeah, whatever it seems like that's what everybody does. Yeah. 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 For EGA versus VGA and for sound. Yep. But uh, there are other games. Like I mentioned Star Trek 25th anniversary. There's a quite extensive list. If you go on Wikipedia and look at the MT 32 compatible games list, it's a lot of LucasArts stuff like the Indiana Jones games and star Wars, like X wing tie fighter. 
And I did it in I, my GOG install of the old DOS version of X-Wing, and it's phenomenal. Like the, and and I've I've compared the MT32 to the emulator, and the difference is it, it's so minuscule that unless you're doing side by side like AB comparisons, you're not really going to hear the difference. So instead of finding yourself a used MT32, and then getting like a USB to MIDI adapter and setting it up that way to, to use DOSBox. This is an absolutely free way of getting virtually the same exact thing. And you can just go through your GOG library and find the games that are compatible with Roland Sound. And these are like early 90s games generally. And just have another option and it sounds absolutely phenomenal. A neat thing too with the uh, the Munt interface, if we can see the screen here, Alex, um, it emulates the display on the front of the MT32, which normally shows you the channels and the activity. Uh, so like these blocks mean that something's playing on that channel right now. But some games had messages coded in, yeah, like Monkey yep. Island uh, and some of the Sierra games like Space Quest. And so you'll you'll be able to see those that were these little special messages like when you died or when something would happen in the game. And so you get you get the full experience of having the actual hardware, which is just awesome. All right. Well, Wait. that's the show. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, as we uh, said at the beginning, we record Wednesday nights at uh, 10 Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific here at pcpro.com slash live. Uh, to uh, send us uh, – or sorry, to see all of our podcasts, uh, go to pcpro.com slash podcast. And uh, get in touch with us. Uh, Twitter is probably the easiest, twitter.com slash pcper. Um, anybody else have any closing thoughts this week? Nothing. I got a oh, big let me old do uh, one long quick check. Make sure nobody said anything. I got a I got a big old uh, Samsung Enterprise SSD roundup coming. Oh yeah, he's been oh, working nice. hard. He's been over in his little corner working hard. So did, did you hear that? Samsung Enterprise SSDs. Yeah, Ooh. this interests me greatly. I don't, I don't think we've ever uh, published a review on Samsung Enterprise SSDs because they used to have been unobtainium, mm. and now they are in the channel, so to speak, or coming to the channel. Well, we got. I that like deploying Evos, but I'd like some. Uh, Actual real hardware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So stay tuned for that and stay tuned next week. Once Ken's back, we'll have all of his uh, personal accounts from the Qualcomm Snapdragon Summit. But until then, thanks for joining us and have a great week. Mm-hmm.